Tonight's event is really about reignition and recognition of the March on Milwaukee, and I feel like we are one congregation, one city, and that our work has yet to be completed. And at this point, I would actually like to call up three amazingly talented artists who have been using their talents in service of building a stronger Milwaukee. So from the Stillwaters Collective with 200 Words of Freedom, could I please bring forward to the stage Chris Spencer, Raisha Farmer, and Unique Russ. Marchers, we say thank you. You are our guests of honor today. Our city is better because of you. And we also realize that we have more work and lessons to learn from you. So thank you so much for being here tonight. And for the rest of us who were not marchers but have inherited the legacy of their work, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for joining us in not only recognizing but also reigniting the original spirits of those marches which include dissent, so creating a better city even when that is not pressed upon us, youth empowerment, because it was the voices of the youth who were leading and driving and demanding a stronger city, and also, and last but not least, black power. And, And by that, I mean not only the united power of the black people who are marching for 200 consecutive nights, but also what it means to really truly believe that a community of citizens united and, and fighting and demanding justice in a better city can do anything. Yeah. So thank you. And it, it is within that spirit that we ignite and reignite the spirit of the work of the marches. So thank you all so much. Once again, my name is Kintera Soufrant, and I am a member of the Coordinating Committee. And at this point, Adam and I would like to not only welcome you all, welcome you all to break bread, there is food available in the back, but also to share a little bit about the history of the marches, which I know that we all may know, but just to really uh, create a foundation for why we are all here today. So also I noticed some of you have 
trickled up to the balcony. So if anyone wants to join them, it's a good spot to see if you feel cramped down on the first floor. So, um, and, and again, I know there's probably no room in the world where this story is known better than, one, than the one we're in now, but far too few Milwaukeeans know a lot about the open housing marches in Milwaukee. So I'm just gonna center us all in a little bit of a timeline of what happened. So on August 28th of 1967, exactly 50 years ago, a group of about 250 young people, predominantly African-American, many of whom are sitting in this room today, marched from the north side of Milwaukee, from the Freedom House on Valit Street. They marched over to the 16th Street Viaduct. And they marched across the viaduct, and they were met on the south side of the bridge by the estimates were between five and 8,000 angry white people. And what they said is, get out of our neighborhood now and forever. The marchers kept marching. They marched all the way to Kosciuszko Park and then came back. So the NAACP Youth Council had marched on other topics. They boycotted for desegregation of schools. They boycotted the um, Eagles Club. But this would really touched a nerve on the south side of Milwaukee. When it hit the news that night, when it hit the newspaper that morning, the commandos, a similar sized group of people, 250 marched from the north side to the south side, this time 13,000 angry white folks, a sea of hatred, of anger, throwing rocks, bottles, light bulbs, holding signs that said white power, spitting, and worse, met them on the south side. I think this is a really important part of the story that we often don't engage in. They continued marching to Kosciuszko Park. They marched a third day, a fourth day, a fifth day, a sixth day, through September, October, November, through winter, into spring, until they marched 200 days. It's hard to even imagine the amount of courage, the endurance, the sophistication of the organizing that was involved to march for 200 days. And it's just a tragedy that today, not every single child in Milwaukee should know this story. But I bet what I just said would probably be new to a lot of people. So they stopped marching after 200 days. Shortly thereafter, federal fair housing legislation was passed. And then on April 30th, in this very building, right in this building, Val Phillips had a bill passed for fair housing in Milwaukee that was more stringent than the national law. She had brought it before the Common Council 12 times previously and been defeated every time unanimously except for her vote. And then passed that 13th time on April 30th in 1968. So that's kind of the, the skeleton of what happened 50 years ago that kicked off today, exactly 50 years ago. And there's no better person than someone who marched on the streets of Milwaukee to tell this story. So we're bringing up our first speaker right now. Uh, Can I introduce him? Yes. Thanks. OK. <laughs> um, so I'd like to introduce Prentice McKinney, NAACP Youth Commando. I wanted to introduce Prentice because Prentice knows I love him. And because of that, Prentice also knows that we butt heads a lot. And I've, I've actually learned a lot about organizing and what it means to sort of disagree but share a common cause and have to unite over that from you. So that's why I want to introduce you because I love you and thank you for everything you've given the city. Thank you. And me. Okay. Excuse me. Hi. My name is Prentice McKinney. They wanted me to talk about the commandos. Let me just say a couple of things. I got a telephone call from a young lady one day. A couple years back, the telephone rings, I answer it. Are you Prentice McKinney? I said, yeah. She said, Mr. McKinney, I'm down south somewhere can't remember the state. She said, I called to say thank you. Thank me for what? She said, my uncle, Nate, marched with the commandos. And I was a little girl. And I didn't even know 
what that was all about. And he just died. And so now she's an adult and she went to the funeral. And she realized now the impact that these marches had here. And she just wanted to say that she was grateful and thank you for what you did. I was humbled by the experience. So let me share it with you. I want to say thank you to all of you who were there and who marched and who took the risk. Thank you. Now let me speak the obvious. what we said 50 years ago. Black Lives Matter. Two. That's the one word that people seem to be getting hung up on. Like they don't speak English. We've known all our lives as black people that white lives matter. We're simply trying to say that ours matter too. Don't be offended by this. Embrace it. I'm going to hit a couple quick topics, and then I'm going to be through. Number one, what were the implications of the passing of the open housing legislation? Well, let's look at it. All black people must live in the same automatic district. I don't care if it's 20 million of y'all. Same automatic district. There are 15 districts. How will our voice ever be heard? It won't be. Second part, schools, education. Back then it was neighborhood schools. So if you had all the African Americans living in the same automatic district, guess what schools their kids had to go to? The worst ones in the city. Lastly, and I don't normally speak off notes, but I'm shaking right now, so <laughs> I want to say this to all the aldermen, all the women that are down here. When I grew up, I stood on the shoulders of those who came before me. I met a guy named Father James E. Grappi and a little sweetheart named Val Phillips. And they convinced me at 19 that I could do something to make a difference in the lives of black people. I believed them. Now, I had to honor them. As a result of the open housing demonstrations now, we have 15 aldermen and six are black, which could have never happened without open housing. Sometimes we don't realize the significance of what we're doing. We just do it because we believe in it. That's what happened with us. We never knew that we were marching into history. We just knew there was a fight, and we were willing to take that fight because it was righteous. If my brothers could serve in the army and die for this country, then why couldn't they come back and live anywhere in this city? One last thing, and I'm only talking about this because Adam Carr, who wherever he is, asked me to talk about it. But before I do that, let me do this. Part of what we're doing is moving on. I am 70 years old. And so as part of what we're doing, we're recognizing what we did 50 years ago and we're passing it on.
Those are the people who we are asking to continue the struggle. Stand on our shoulders on what we did and continue to struggle. Now, the one point Adam wanted me to speak about. I ran into this phrase somewhere. I don't know where. The phrase was, if not now, then when? And if not me, then who? I looked in the mirror one day, and that question came to my mind as I looked myself in the face, and I saw what was happening in this city and in this country. And I said, I don't want to be involved. I'm 70, I need to be in a senior citizen home somewhere, drinking Geritol and rubbing down with Bengay. I don't get it, you know. But then, how do you look at it and say, if not you, if you're not willing to pick up the banner, if you're not willing to fight for those things that you believe are right, then who will do it? I'm not going to talk about Donald Trump. I'm going to leave that to Gwen. <laughs> All right. But I'll just say, if not now, then please tell me when. And if not you, then who's going to do it? So that's the responsibility we pass on. To fight to make change. Speaking of change, I am more than proud to introduce the next speaker. He might be cute, but so what? You know what I mean? That don't count. That don't count. He might be young. That don't count. You think like an old man, right? But he knows what his responsibilities are to his people and to his city. He's effective in carrying it out, and it shows because he is now chairman of the Common Council. here in Milwaukee, Ashante Hamilton, my man. Y'all done packed the house tonight. <laughs> Prentice, let me um, say thank you because um, I need y'all to understand that this building belongs to you. These seats belong to you. And there should never be a time where you would have to protest here in order to get your dignity and respect and civility, your human right. And if you ever had to, Then let's tear it down. But I got a job to do today. After sending you your welcome, my other job is to give somebody an introduction that really doesn't need to be introduced. Because I'm going to be quite honest with you, her work speaks for itself. But just in case you don't understand the type of congresswoman that we have, I'll remind you that she was elected to the Congress in 2004. But she was given back to this community long before that. I will remind you that she is the first African-American woman elected to Congress from the state of Wisconsin.
And even that could not have been done without your work. A strong advocate for measures focused on improving the economic and employment conditions in low-income communities, and she fought to curb predatory lending in business for government contracts. She spoke out on behalf of low-wage workers. This woman even went to jail fighting for our community. This is a champion for women's rights. You can let those other congressmen put bills out to try to probe on women if you want to and let them try to cross her office. Y'all seen her on the floor. A champion. And not only is she fighting for us here in Milwaukee, in Wisconsin, we do have her on loan globally, fighting human rights issues around the world. You cannot put a muzzle on this woman. But her contributions are actually touching me personally. Because, you know, she went to Marquette, and, you know, a lot of times when you get to these high places, and I'm not saying that this is one, but I'm letting you know that uh, a congresswoman is a high place in anybody's book. A lot of times people like to pull the ladder up after they climb up. She remained an ardent supporter. I'm telling you now, this woman, if you did not know that what TRIO programs were, what Upward Bound EOP programs were, That's how I went to college. See one of my high school teachers in here. I, I learned over there too. But those funds for those programs have been under attack for many years. And they were really under attack this last budget, this budget process we're going through right now. And the only reason that they continue to stay is because she took advantage of it when she went to school and she made sure that there still remained available for people like me. But when I got to see her stand up in front of a crowd like this and explain to people that she was once a single mother on welfare, being a kid having grown up on welfare and felt ashamed about it, thought that in order to be respected, I had to pretend as if I wasn't. And even after getting elected, feeling like that was something to be ashamed of and not really wanting people to know. But to have your congresswoman say, look, it's about what I overcame, not where I came from.
That's my congresswoman and yours. A statesman or a stateswoman when you need her to be. A diplomat when it's called for. And a fighter when you need one. Our congresswoman, Gwen Moore. I promise you, I won't be as long as Ashanti. <laughs> Let me just uh, be part of the recognition, start out with, I'm looking at Peggy and Roska and Fred Reed and Prentice McKinney, Betty Glosson, and all of you all who marched and supported this initiative back in 1967. And you know, as I reflect back, I was 16 at the time. And of course, marching in these marches was not something that was sanctioned or supported by Mother Dear, by my dear mother. So Brenda, who uh, you know, I always dragged to everything, was involved in my many nights of sneaking out of the window in my bedroom, we lived on Buffum Street at the time, to join in the marches. And indeed, uh, I was humbled when I was hit in the head with a no deposit bottle. Back in that day, typically, almost every bottle you could get two cents deposit on. So I was particularly insulted that someone didn't think it was worth breaking a bottle on my head to hit me in the head with a no deposit bottle. But how did, how did I get there? And what implications does that have for creating leadership and bringing us here today? The only reason that I was involved in this initiative is because I actually had elders in the community that instead of just seeing me as some hard-headed, big-mouth brat, saw the energy and talent that I had and wanted to use it. You know, I met Vail Phillips. I met Vail Phillips through her volunteer work as a judge, as I did Marsha Coggs, I always mention them together. They took time on Saturdays and Sundays to judge the Elks Oratorical Contest and other things, places where they could interact with young black people in the community. And the, the thing that I like to tell all the time the story that I like to tell is the story that is not well known about Vell Phillips. Adam talks about Vell Phillips being this older woman who introduced her fair ordinance to, uh, 12 times and it was defeated 18 to 1, 12 times, and she continued to work on. But I want to tell you that Vell Phillips to this day is a lynx. Oh yeah, she knows what good crystal is. She is, uh, um, I don't want to get this wrong, she's a delta. And she, that, yeah, come on. And even though she's over 90 years old, here's a woman, a young black woman that went to college. She was not someone you think that it would end up in handcuffs in Chief Breyer's paddy wagon on her way to jail. And when Val Phillips was arrested for her activities with open housing marches, her mother and her father, they were middle class. They were so ashamed and embarrassed because their daughter had gotten involved in what probably is described by Mayor Meyer and I've heard and Chief Breyer as unruly activities. 
on the north side of Milwaukee. And I make that point because one of the things that I want to revisit when we, we recognize these people who took this risk, but when we reignite it, we've got to reignite it without the shame and the blame and the fear that we had back then. My mother was afraid for me, so I had to sneak out the window. But these young people are coming boldly forth today to, to present and be part of the opposition. We allowed the Milwaukee Police Department to define the Prentice McKinney's of the world as troublemakers when they were the people interrupting the trouble that we had in Milwaukee. And what was that trouble? I saw Art Heitzer earlier distributing flyers uh, on the Frank Zeidler Memorial Lecture. Who was Frank Zeidler? Frank Zeidler was our last socialist mayor. And he was someone who warned the city about the bad impact of racial segregation on African-Americans, Negroes in this community. And it has had a terrible impact on us. It has disabled us. We've lived in substandard housing. The, the policy decisions around transportation, not moving beyond our community, have kept us from getting jobs in very close places, like Cudahy and West Dallas and other places where we don't have transportation assets. It has prevented us, as Prentice has indicated, from having the kind of political power that we would have. And he was interrupting this pattern of injustice. So lesson number two, we have got to, number one, embrace the energy of young people instead of listen to the definition that they're bad. And after we embrace it, we have to support it and validate it and be with them. Just let me say that back in the day, Milwaukee was considered to be the Selma of the North. And how have we fared since then? That was the social issue of that time, housing. And as Prentice indicated, Literally, right after the 200 days of marches, finally, finally, a federal uh, fair housing law was put in place, but Milwaukee's was, was more strident than the one that was done in Congress because of all the work that had been done on the ground. But what, where are we at now? Fast forward, 2017. A man named Desmond, uh, Matthew Desmond from Harvard University just got a Pulitzer Prize 2017 for his book called Evicted that talks about the housing conditions in the city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I'll tell you that 56% of all the people in the city of Milwaukee pay more than a third of their income for housing, which is the very, very maximum. You ought to pay for electricity, housing, everything in order to be comfortable. 31% of us are paying 50% or more of our income on housing. Much of it still substandard. And those who are on public assistance or on Social Security are finding many of them paying as much as 75% of their incomes on housing. We are still the ninth in the nation for the most segregated community in the United States of America. And not only that, won't mention his name, just say 45. 45. 
And if you want to know why he's not being challenged more stridently by members of Congress who are in power, it's because they love what he's doing. Not only is he destroying the environment, but what he is doing particularly in the area of housing, you will find very disturbing. Just want to zero out community development block grant funds not fund the housing trust fund, wants to destroy the Community Reinvestment Act. Freddie and Fannie, get rid of that. Section eight, even veterans housing. And so when you look at the housing agenda, the federal response to the fact that we have a dearth of affordable housing. Listen, we have people turning 65 every day. These are people on fixed incomes. We need affordable housing. And yet, and yet, these housing needs, the federal government wants to walk away from the federal housing needs diminish the role of the FHA, and so on and so forth. But I can tell you, I have hope. I certainly enjoyed the poets that came here. They laid it out, didn't they? They gave you the whole history. And I tell you, as I look out in this crowd and I look at people who got, you know, I looked in the mirror, I got more and more white hair coming in my head. And I'm 66, and I know far too many people in this room, which means that uh, a lot of us are getting old. And we, the only thing that gives us hope is that we have raised up a generation of people coming behind us who are going to grab the baton and move on. That the problems and the struggles that we face each and every day will be lifted up by a new generation. And so I'm going to close with one of my very favorite poems. It comes from The River Niger by Joseph A. Walker. And it's called, Lord, I don't know, feel no ways tired. And I'm dedicating this to you, Adam, and to you, Dr. Katana, I'm dedicating this to you as that next generation who's going to reignite. Come from behind the screen. <laughs> Reading y'all a poem. <laughs> Lord, I don't feel no ways tired. And my soul seeks not to be flabby. Peace is a muscleless word, a vacuum, a hole in space, an assless anesthesia, a shadowy phantom, never settling anywhere. Even in sleep, in my dreams, I struggle, slash and crash and cry. Damn you, you wilderness! I will cut my way through. And the wilderness shouts back, go around me. And I answer, hell no. The joke's on both of us, and I will have the last laugh. The wilderness sighs and grows stronger. As I too round out my biceps in this ageless, endless duel, Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I want a muscle-bound spirit. I say I want a muscle-bound soul. Because, Lord, I ain't no ways tired. I feel like dancing through the valley of the shadow of death. Because, Lord, I don't feel no ways tired. Thank you, everybody. We are so lucky to have her as our congresswoman. And now uh, Tiffany Henry from the office of Senator 
Tammy Baldwin is going to read a statement from Senator Baldwin. Thank you, Adam. Boy, it is really hard to come after Congresswoman Gwen Moore. Um, but I say that that's a connection because she is a pioneer in this movement. And she continues to do great work on behalf of all of us. And she is indeed passing that torch. And so I say to myself as a young person, as an advocate, I stand in awe of you. And I stand inspired and thankful uh, for what you have done and what you are doing now. And I know what you'll continue to do. Um, but I do want to share something just before I give my remarks on behalf of Senator Baldwin because whenever I am in front or amongst, I was raised right. And in respecting um, history and in respecting those who paved the way and understanding that I would not be standing here right now had it not been for the likes of tons of people who sacrificed and who worked and who marched and who risked and who bled and who died and who had tears and who struggled on my behalf. Um, but I do want to say thank you to the committee for allowing me to bring words tonight. Again, it is great honor and privilege that I stand here to support and celebrate, but also to be in the continued fight for equality and freedom. Again, I am thoroughly a product of the sacrifice and the persistence and courage of your my, our elders, to the NWCP Youth Council and the commandos and Alderperson Phillips and Father and everybody else, all the activists, and even those who are there tonight, those of you who are there on 1967 as marchers, and even those who may have gone on to be with the Lord, I thank you. I thank you for standing up. I thank you for taking that risk. I thank you for showing my generation what it means to stand up and fight for your rights. The courage and tenacity that it took to march for 200 days is inspiring, as some people won't do something for 200 minutes. Don't let anyone ever tell you that change can occur when a group of determined, resilient people get together and say no. While we must honor our history, we must realize, especially in my generation, even though I'm 34 years old, I sometimes think I have a mindset of a 54-year-old, um, but even those behind us, that this work is even more important today. We can't let the work of our elders be in vain. We're facing an even bigger giant, but as my grandmother would always tell me, Tiffany, giants, they gotta come down. The harder they try to fight you, they gotta come down. We have to be willing to take that fight. So in support and on behalf of your, your United States Senator Tammy Baldwin, we stand ready and aimed to continue the fight for progress, equity, and respect. I think that's what we're missing here is respect. Even though Senator is unable to be present tonight, I want to just bring briefly the words that she's asked me to share. So dear friends, dear Milwaukee, welcome to the start of 200 Nights of Freedom. Tonight marks 50 years since Milwaukee's open housing marches began. Five decades ago, community members marched for over 200 consecutive days and nights to end housing segregation in Milwaukee. Tonight, not only do we remember their commitment and sacrifices in the name of civil rights, but we also must reaffirm our own roles. We must come together as one community, regardless of race, age, or gender, to fight for inequality. While the original open housing marches paved the way for federal fair housing legislation, there's still much work before us, and I stand with you committed to do just that. I am thrilled to see so many people gathered here tonight to continue the work that began 50 years ago, and I am humbled to join you today in spirit and reigniting our collective activist voice. Again, welcome, and let's get started. Sincerely, your United States Senator Tammy Baldwin. Thank you. Thank you so much for that statement. I'm standing here a little bit speechless right now because I think what we've been, what's been reaffirmed in all the statements is how much we have to thank our elders 
in this room for. Um, for your bravery, your stamina, your commitment, your resistance, and your fighting spirit. We also know that we not only stand on your shoulders, we also stand on the shoulders of those who could not be here tonight because they have already transitioned. And so now, here presenting the roll call, marching for those who can no longer, are Fred Reed, NAACP commando, and Margaret Peggy Rosga, wife of Father Grappi and original marcher during the 200 Nights of Freedom. My name is Fred Reed, as she said earlier, and I'm proud to have alongside me the widow of Father Grappi. It has been our tradition to call the roles of those who are no longer with us that are asleep and rest from their labor. We have and I'll ask your, your patience as we get through this. We have three separate lists. We have the Commando Youth Council. We have the Commandos Youth Council and Marchers. And we have the prominent participants. So I will begin with the Commando NAACP commando list. As Sergeant Major, I will call the roll. Once called at the General Assembly at St. Boniface, you will get a call and response. When these names that I call can no longer respond, yet they are accounted for. Adolph Pappy Arms. James Cookie Arms, Eugene Anderson, Raymond Blattis, Columbus Boston, Alan Crawford, Johnny Davis, Benny Emerson, Lawrence Friend, Jabo Friend, Marion Red Glass, Steve Glass, Robert Granison, affectionately known as Blue, Webster Harris, Clyde Harris, Nate Harwell, Edward Jermison, Greg Johnson, Earl Johnson, Kenny Johnson, Jimmy Johnson, Sullivan King, Milton Lassender, Earl Lewis, Vernon Mallet, Eugene Pierce, Jimmy Pierce, David Rogers, Larry Rogers, Dalo Stingley, Clarence Smith, John Trenton, Avery Thornton, Dwayne Tolliver, Edward Teakin, William Turner, A.C. Turner, Jesse Hook Wade, Henry Hank Walters, John Ware, Early Wilson, Tommy Lee Woods, and Cowboy, if you hear me, I don't remember your name, but you're a cowboy to me. <laughs> Carlos, same to you, Brother Carlos. Father James Grappi. <laughs> Sylvester Williams. <laughs> Reverend Richard Kirkendall. <laughs> Juanita Adams. Brother Booker Ash, Bada Bass, James Beakley, Laundry Berry Jr. Kwame, K. 
Carol Carmen Butler-Smith. Kenneth Bowen. Cleveland Bryant. Elizabeth Campbell. Odine Childs. Sandra Childs. Brenda M. Coggs. Rosemary Coggs. Velma Coggs. Thurston Coleman. Carlos Davis. Elizabeth Davis. Clifton Everett. Annie Gordon. Lawrence Grant. Robert Granderson, known as Blue. Melvin Hall. LaVeda Harris. Esther Hazelwood. James Hazelwood. Joe Hazelwood. Joe Hallman. Cheryl Jean Jeter Johnson. Beverly Johnson. Carol Thomas Malone. Lee McGee, Jr. Lee McGee, Sr. Donald Pierce. Donald Reed. Ida Mae Royalty. Addie Mae Sargent. Robert Curley Walston. Elizabeth Webster. Carol Willis. Cynthia Wigley. Betty Lou Woods, Tommy Lee Woods, Mrs. Estelle Yarbrough, Lucille Woodard. Oh, Carlos Davis, you fall, fell out of formation, I found you. And Thurston Coleman, cowboy, I found you, you fell out of formation. <clears throat> These are the prominent participants who marched and played a significant role in the marches. You can take the first one. Lloyd Barbie. Walter Beach. Dismas Becker. Cecil Brown, Jr. Reverend Leo Champion. William Coffey. Isaac Coggs. Marsha Coggs. Richard Dick Gregory. Marilyn Morehouse. Walter Jones. Reverend Albert Kelly, Jr. Hinda Larkey. Jay Larkey. Reverend R.L. Lathan. Janetta Robinson. Reverend Lamont Sherman. Claretta Simpson, known as Mother Freedom. Flo Seafelt. Ruby Tune. And that concludes our list. Thank you. You did well. So some of you may have heard Ashe and may have been wondering what that is. I was saying that to myself in the corner, and then Solana like hit me in the elbow and said, say it louder so people can learn. Thank you, Solana. So with it, yeah, you can clap, that's fine. <laughs> so within my Yoruba traditions, Ashe is really the spirit of the universe, and that is the way that we mark all who are coming and all who have gone. And so that's what we're doing after every single name, honoring them. So thank you all for participating. <laughs> 